We're back in Colossians again, and today we're going to take a look at a passage we, we, we introduced last week and said we'd look a little more in depth at it this week. So Colossians chapter 3. And again, we're going through this entire book, literally verse by verse. The Apostle Paul's writing to this church in Colossia, a church he's never been to probably, uh, but he ministered in Ephesus, and that's, that's a town of 70, 80 miles away. And uh, those from uh, Colossia came and heard the gospel, went back, planted this church. Paul is writing a letter to them, uh, anticipating some of the difficulties that they're having and answering some of the problems that they're in, in, encountering. Uh, and he covers a whole wide variety of things. It's a beautiful, wonderful, glorious letter. And in chapter 3, we spend a lot of time where he talks about how being in Christ makes everything new and full. It's all we need. We need nothing else. And what that looks like and what a person living uh, in Christ and for Christ, how their life is different and more meaningful and more fulfilling. And they don't need to add other things to it. But here he moves into something very specific. He talks about what this Christian life looks like at home at home. Verses 18 and following are all about what takes place in the average home of the average Christian who was attending and engaged with and a member of the church there and these Colossian Christians. And it's true for us today. And it's a passage of scripture that many people would say that's outdated. It doesn't matter anymore. That doesn't make any sense. And we're going to absolutely dive in and take a look at it. Father, bless the reading and the speaking and the preaching of your word to the hearts of these folks who are here. Open their eyes and unclog their ears. They can hear you and see you and experience you in all your glory and your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, he doesn't hold anything back. He begins in verse 18 with, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting unto the Lord. Now, let's be honest. Until about, I don't know, 75 years ago, that was not a controversial statement. But in the last blink of an eye in terms of history, it's become incredibly controversial. Let me just ask you this. How well are we doing with families in our culture? Do we have anything to write home about? Doing it the way we want to do it? Doing the way we think is right? How much better are we now than we were previous generations? And I tell you, there are many times when I'm working with a couple to perform a marriage, and there's been many times when the wife has said, I don't care what you say, but don't say that stuff about submitting. Some of that's because it's a bit misunderstood. Some of it is because it's not misunderstood at all, to be frank about it. If we're going to believe the Bible from Genesis to the map in the back, then we're going to believe the Bible. And we're going to, most people today, most Christians today, literally, I don't say they're Christians, most church members today, in in most mainline churches, they have a cafeteria approach to the Bible. They simply look at passages that sort of fit their narrative of what life should be like and how we should live and what God should be like, and they really hang on to those. But any passages that sort of conflict with their narrative of who God is and what I want to do, we set those aside. I don't have to, do I have to really spell it out for us? That's exactly what Satan told Adam and Eve in the garden. You can be God. You can choose for yourself. You can know everything God knows. And modern man says, we know best. 
We know better than this ancient book. We know better than Apostle Paul. We know better how to live life. We know better how to be fulfilled. Oh, really? Have you looked at our culture lately? Have you looked at some of the wealthiest, most powerful people in the world and saw that they commit suicide? That their lives are a wreck? Have you looked at marriages? Have you looked at our children? Have you, I mean, oh, but we know better. We're not, this is, we're not going to do this. But then at the same time, people who say they're Christians will say, but we love what this says about this, and we love what that says about that. Look, God, it's all, it's all for his glory and all for your joy. Everything he puts in here is for your joy. It's not because he, God's not up there. He's not, he's not just saying, you know what? I'm just going to stick it to some people today. God does, he doesn't need that. He loves you. He created you. He's, he's not saying, you know what? I, I just really want women to just really suffer. So no, he loves you. In fact, the way Jesus dealt with women in the first century was phenomenal. Whether it's the woman at the well, the woman caught in the act of adultery, the way he dealt with Mary and Martha, the ladies who were the first ones to the tomb. We could go on and on and on and on. But please hear me when I say this. This is really critically important. When God determined to redeem us, fallen humanity, which it wasn't like he had to go to plan B. When, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God didn't go, oh man, now what I'm going to do, I, I've got I've to throw out that playbook and go get another playbook and come up with a plan of redemption. That's not God. Look, I don't know, and you don't know, and until we get to heaven, none of us will know. Paul says, I see through a glass dimly, but one day I'll see clearly. There's a lot of things we don't know. That's okay. I'm not God. You're not God. But God has perfect foreknowledge. And so he knew when he created Adam and Eve, he knew what would happen. And so when he created Adam and Eve, he also knew that he would need to send his son to redeem a fallen humanity. If that sort of blows your mind, well, good. We need to think about God in these huge terms, not in terms that we can manage and we can handle. So God was already planning redemption before the foundation of the world. And his plan of redemption was the only plan that would work. His son would come live a sinless life, die a substitutionary death, the sin of all who would be redeemed would be placed on his son and our sins would be forgiven. But the, but the picture he wanted between the relationship between his son and those of us who are, his, who are, who are redeemed are his, his church, the picture that God chose was marriage. Jesus is the bridegroom, the church is the bride. It's not an accident. God came up with marriage Human people did not. It was God's plan. And it's to show us, and look, look, there's no perfect marriages. And some of us have more imperfect marriages than others. Even those of us who are, who are both Christians and in the family. and try, it's, it's this side of heaven where it's not perfect. But you read the Song of Solomon. And as you read the Song of Solomon, it's a love song. It's a love story. I mean, how many music, how many songs on the radio, obviously, are about love between a man and a woman. How many television shows and movie shows and how many, how many fictions that's all, think about, and how much time we spend trying to find somebody, whether it's, you know, match.com or whatever. 
of all the relationships, human relationships, that, that relationship of a marriage, of a husband and a wife, is the picture that God gives us for his son and the bride of Christ, the church. Now look, again, you could give me examples all day long of bad marriages and terrible marriage. I get that. And look, this side of heaven, there's no marriage that is perfect. But how many of us have seen, how many of you have seen your great-grandparents or your grandparents? Yeah, they, they may be married 60, 70 years. They may have fought some. They may have had some big blow-ups at time or time. I and mean, they're humans, right? But what happens when, when granddad's about ready to die? And you see grandma won't leave his bedside, stays with him, loves him, talks to him. And there's this amazing bond between them at the point of his death or her death. And you look at that as a young person and you go, I don't know what that is, but man, I would give anything to have someone love me like that. God did that for a picture of just a glimpse of how Jesus loves us as a bridegroom who cannot wait to see his bride. As a bridegroom who would just, he would get to the Cumberland Church on time, as Shenandoah would say. That's an old song. He would get there. He would be there. Nothing's going to keep him from there. That's the picture. That's what God wants us to know. That as a bridegroom desires his bride and longs for his bride. And as you read the Song of Solomon, as, 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 that, as that bridegroom loved and desired his bride, that's how Christ desires the church. So on earth, for the believers, the home is to be a picture of that. And that's why biblical marriage between a man and a woman is absolutely important. Because it's Christ and the church. So he begins with, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Now I know there's a bit of an athletic competition today about noon. And so we're going to... Rather than me just meander like I normally do, uh, I'm going to go to my good friend, J.D. Greer, who's, who's much younger than me, by the way, as most preachers are these days. But J.D., uh, who has to be the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, he might be in his mid-40s, pastors of church, the Summit Church in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm preaching on this text, a man of a, really my son's generation, actually, this is what he says, so I just want to, I want to share this with you. A few things that this text does not mean when it comes to submission. It doesn't mean the dominance of man. A wife does not exist as a serf in her house to cater to her husband whims. Just a few verses after Paul's command to wives, he talks about husbands, and we'll talk about that maybe next week. Another thing it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean abusive relationships. Paul's not talking here about a wife has to stay in an abusive relationship and be abused and be mistaken care of. There are other scriptures that talk about that. It doesn't mean submission in all areas. Paul's command does not mean that all women everywhere should submit to all men as if a woman can't lead. In the workplace, for example, Paul is only talking here about in the marriage relationship. All right? And using this verse as a tool to wield over your wives is not what this is meant. Notice that it is specifically addressed to women. And I've said this all my, all my life. 
husbands, you are not instructed or told to make your wives submit. If she doesn't submit, that's between her and Jesus. It doesn't say wives submit unto your husbands as unto, and then say husbands make sure she does it. Does husbands love your wife? That's the only. What's my responsibility as a husband is to love my wife as Christ loved the church, and that means when she doesn't submit. So don't use this as a tool. I mean, that's if you're doing that, you're living. You're really outside what what the picture of marriage is and what this text is truly truly all about. All right. So you don't use it for that. What it is, and this is what I, those other three things I've preached and understood, but I love this insight that, that uh, J.D. gives us. This was great. What it is, your, this, if you've got daughters who get married, if you're married, this is good. J.D., this is good. Your submission as a wife, check this out is an invitation for your husband to lead. Think about that. Your submission as a wife is an invitation. Oh, my husband's not a leader. Maybe he's afraid to. Why? What submission to your husband does mean is that you allow him space to steer the family. Now, Tim Keller and his wife, Katie, Tim is a pastor in New York City, a great writer, great speaker. I encourage you to read anything and everything and listen to everything Tim Keller says, all right? But, and he's a little older than me. So I love how Kathy Keller, the wife of Tim, pastor at Redeemer, explains it. This is how Tim Keller's wife explains. Submission means that in matters of disagreement, in other words, it doesn't mean I agree with him all the time. I love that. They can disagree, but in matters of disagreement, I yield to Tim as the deciding vote. I get a vote and he gets a vote, but he gets the deciding vote. When Tim and Kathy were deciding whether to move to New York City so he could plant a church, he felt they should go and she felt they should not. They had to make a decision. To not make one would be functional. As, not, as making it that they wouldn't go. To make one against, Tim conceded and said, okay, if you don't want to go, we won't go. That's what her husband said. Kathy replied, said, oh, no, you don't. <laughs> You're not putting this on me. You have to make the decision and bear the responsibility. Honey, do you think we should go? No, well, then we won't go. No, she says, that's not my call. You're the one called to be a pastor and church planter. You're not going to lay that on me. Submission is an invitation to truly lead. Spiritual leadership means the husband has the burden of responsibility. Its counterpart is the sort of submission that encourages and equips the husband for that leadership. As Kathy examples show, submission can be active and engaging. But in the end, someone has got to break the tie. Tony Evans puts it this way. Spiritual headship is God telling the woman to duck so he can punch the man. (laughs) Seriously. 
You may say, well, my husband is not a spiritual leader and wonder what that means for you to follow him. But this verse doesn't say submit when he is sufficiently a spiritual leader in your eyes. And I, again, I've, in a lot of my ministry, I've had women say, well, my husband's not a spiritual leader. Well, in whose eyes? In your eyes? How, how spiritual does he have to be? As a wife, you create, your submission, as I said, creates a vacuum that serves as an invitation. And when your husband does step up, Here's the biggie, ladies. You need to encourage him and say things like, that's what I love about you. <laughs> that's, that, that's why I, I, I really cherish you when you do these things. Then watch him come alive. When the two of you start to conduct your marriage that way, you'll find deeper joy that you've been looking for. And this is what happy marriages look like. Now, there's other scriptures we could spend time on this morning, and you can look them up. Just You've got the internet. Probably look at it right now. You're probably on them. You're looking right now while I'm talking. You can Google submission in the New Testament and see what the scripture has to say about it. We are to submit to one another as unto the Lord. None of us are to think of ourselves better than anybody else. But Paul is talking here about the Christ that is fulfilling and gives us everything we need. We don't need Christ plus a job to make us feel happy or fulfilled. We don't need Christ and the affirmation of men. We don't need Christ as we talked about earlier and, and some kind of earthly wisdom or some sort of, of, of legalism that adds to the work we have to do. All we need is Christ. And if Christ is all I need, then in my family, I can be what he wants me to be. I don't need Christ and yet to feel like I always get the last word. I don't need Christ to be able to feel like I can manipulate my family members. I just need Christ. And he tells me, this is the picture. Here's the picture of a family. And somebody has to make the decisions and somebody has to be ultimately responsible. And God has determined and decided that that would be the husband. Now, what if you don't have a husband? What if you're not married? What if you're widowed? I get that. I love when Paul affirms Timothy's mother and grandmother who raised him and brought him up right. Of course, there are other ways that God will be gracious and, and caring if that's the case. But here he's speaking to families, men and women. And he says, wives, submit to your husbands. And again, submission does not mean agreement. It does not mean letting him abuse you. It does not mean staying in a relationship that's abusive. It does not mean doing things that are ungodly that he asks you to do or illegal or immoral or unethical. Obviously, there's other scriptures that talk about you've got to obey God rather than men. But at the end of the day, you know what we're talking about. Now, guys, when she, I, I, I don't know what I, I mean, that's, Kathy Keller, that was a great word. Because I've said the very same thing to Jill. I've said, Jill, do you think we ought to do A, B, and C? And we'll talk about it, pray about it. And she'll say, you know, I don't really feel... Okay, good, then we won't do it. I've said that. And she's never been... I don't want her to read that because she's never been intuitive. And <laughs> she's never come back at me and said, no, no, no. You're not doing that to me. I am not the one who is responsible for this. You are. You ask for my opinion, but you still have to make the decision. And I guess we do need to make sure we do the next part in case some of you don't get back next week. <laughs> After he says that about submission, and again, we can say, oh, that just seems so antiquated and so... Look, it's not. It's, it's a picture of a home that's in balance. 
And again, it doesn't mean that you can't be a president of a bank or, or president of a college if you're a woman. You can't have a job where you're telling 100. You can't be a general. I mean, I saw on the news the other day, there are two sisters now who are generals in the army. Of course, you're nothing prohibitive of that. This is talking about in the home, in your marriage relationship, because again, it does reflect the relationship between Jesus and his church. And my goodness, how many times, look, I spend my life dealing with dying churches. That is my ministry. And, and, and in, in terms of North America, 4,000 churches will close their doors this year. 900 of them will be Southern Baptist. And I guarantee you this, churches that eventually close their doors at one point look just like this one. But something happened. And what happened was they quit submitting to the authority of Jesus and they started doing what was right in their own heart, in their own mind, their own eyes. They quit following Jesus' plan, started following their plan. So there's a picture of submission. Anyway. But then he says, the very next sentence, verse 19, husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh with them. And in Ephesians, he says, as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Love your wives and don't be harsh with them. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Once again, husbands, it is not your responsibility to force or make your wives submit. And I would suggest and say with all clarity, if you and I would make it our priority to love our wives as Christ loved the church, submission would not be a problem. They would welcome it. When's the last time as a husband, your wife heard you pray for her by name in her presence? When was the last time as a husband you opened God's word and read to her the scripture? When was the last time you asked her to pray for you because you're really struggling with what it means to be a husband and leader and the spiritual decisions you have to make? When was the last time on a Saturday night you took a little bit of time with her and said, can we just pray together about our hearts will be right when we go gathered worship tomorrow morning? And when was the last time you woke up every morning of your life and you thought, what can I do today to make my wife's life better, happier, less complicated, and more joyful? How can I serve her today? What are some things that she's doing that I could take off of her plate? How could I I do some acts every day? How could I do that? Look, you want to talk about something mind-blowing? In the first century, to tell husbands, you have to, you're not going to be harsh with your wife and you're going to love her as Christ loved the church. In the first century, husbands could do whatever they wanted to do to their wives. Nobody would say anything. They were nothing more than a piece of property that you owned. But here, the scripture says that is not the case. You love them as Christ loved the church. And listen, this is so vitally important. Just like I love what J.D. Greer said about, about submission as an invitation to leadership. And what, and what uh, Tony Evans said, that submission is ducking so God can punch your husband. I, I love those two things. But here's something else about loving your wives as Christ loved the church. Look, marriage is hard work. Clearly. We're imperfect people. These are imperfect relationships. It is really hard. And we have this stupid mentality that it shouldn't be hard. That it ought to just be simple. Well, it's not. 
it's challenging, it's difficult, and we stay with it, and we work it, and we grind it out, and it's worth it in the end. It's always worth it. But husbands, when it's hard, look, you don't always know what your wife's going through. You don't know what she's dealt with with the kids or with her parents or with somebody at work. You don't know her emotions and what's happening with her. And There's a lot going on, all right? Stuff in her past maybe she's never shared with you, maybe never shared with anybody. And so at times, perhaps when she, she becomes momentarily difficult, <laughs> perhaps a little nagging at times because you're a jerk and deserve it, or maybe not, but you still get it. Look, those times, look, if you've been married a long time, there are times that you just look at your spouse and you go, I don't think I could breathe without them. They're like my other shoe. I don't know. And then there are days when you wake up and you go, I don't really care if I ever see them again. The way he chews his food, the way she walks, the way she laughs. Why does she have to watch that television program again? I don't want to hear this story one more time. I mean, there are times it just, it just flows, doesn't it? It goes back and forth. I'm like, I couldn't live without you. To, I don't even want to be around you. But it's in those times for husbands when it's hard. And it's not, it's not natural. It's, it's, we, it's in those times when we feel like we're not being treated properly. It's in those times that we understand just a little tiny glimpse of how Christ loves his church, loves you, even though you are far more difficult to get along with than your spouse. You are far less faithful than your spouse. But Jesus never quits loving you with an agape, never-ending, unconditional love. Ever. And so loving our wives as Christ loved the church shows us how much we're loved. And husbands, loving your wives as Christ loved the church shows your children, this is so important, shows your children the steadfastness of Jesus' love for his church because of the steadfastness of my dad's love for my mom. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and don't be harsh with them. Wives, submit unto your husbands as unto the Lord. And then he, he says, fathers and children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Of course, most of us who are husbands and wives, that's the verse we'd like to keep. The other two we might not do anything with. You know, we sort of cafeteria pick them here. Well, if you want, it, if you want verse 20, then you need to have verse 18 and 19. They, they kind of go together. Paul didn't put the numbers on there. Other people did. But children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Now, again, if you're an adult, that doesn't go away after you're an adult, by the way. But when you're an adult, you know... The situation changes. A man shall leave his mother and father and cleave unto his wife. They become one flesh. But you still honor your parents even as an adult, clearly. But as a child in the home, yeah, as unto the Lord. So you help your children understand, look, the reason we have, the reason we have a system in our home where we all have our role to play is because this is what Jesus has designed for us for our joy. And because he, he's the one that we love and he's given us everything and this is his plan for us. Not just because I'm your dad and I said so. Fathers, provoke not your children. At least they become discouraged. 
we'll pick up there next week because there's a lot to say there and then servants and masters. So we'll talk about children and servants next week. But this morning, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, then, then everything I've said has been sort of maybe not made a lot of sense to you, seems outdated, seems old-fashioned. But here's the reality. When you do have Christ as your Savior, husbands, you don't have the ability to lead. I don't have the ability to lead. I don't always know what to do. But if I will lean into him and look to him and be in fellowship with him, he will guide and direct me and tell me what to do. And wives, it may be hard sometimes to submit because everything in our, everything in our DNA says we're the most important thing in the world. But, but, but we'll understand because Jesus willingly submitted himself, right? He left the throne of glory. He wrapped himself in human flesh. He, he lived a sinless life and died a substitutionary death. He held nothing back. He willingly submitted himself to the wrath of God for our redemption. And submission helps us identify with him in that. And husbands, loving your wives as Christ loved the church helps you identify with Christ in that. And it helps the children see this beautiful picture it's what God designs. And this side of heaven, there isn't a perfect marriage. And look, the scripture makes it clear. You know, when, when Jesus was talking to the lawyers and they were, had this convoluted question about, well, a man dies, his brother, his brother marries his, his, the, the widow because that's what the law says. And then he dies and that brother marries the widow. They go through this whole thing. Go, In heaven, whose husband will she be? Or whose wife will she be? And Jesus blows them all away when he says, she won't be any husband or wives. There won't be marriage in heaven. What? I was interim pastor before I came here of a church in Independence, and a dear lady passed away. I had a number of them pass away while I was there. It was an elderly church, and her husband was 92, and he's still living. And he never, he was on Facebook, but, you know, he just, I never posted anything. And one night, very, very late, he sends me a Facebook message. And I think, well, this, this might be a, a scam because he never messages on Facebook. But it was way late at night, and it came up, and I read it. And he said, I just read the text again where it says there'll be no marriage in heaven. And he said, I can't imagine being in heaven and not being married to her. They were married for 70 years. And I responded, responded to him, and I said, look, I don't know how good you're, I mean, I'm sure you had a good marriage for 70 years, but it wasn't perfect. And in heaven, we're not going to have imperfect relationships like marriage. In heaven, we're going to all love God and love each other in a way we could never begin to imagine. And the love you had with your bride here on earth, when you get to heaven, that relationship you'll have not only with her, but with everybody will be so pure and so glorious. It'll make, you won't even, it'll be so much better than marriage even. Doesn't mean you're not going to be with her. But it's not going to be this earthly marriage where you slug it out through the hard times and you have moody times and you have fights and you get... No, not going to that kind of, that's not going to be happening. That's here on earth to help us sanctify us. I mean, that's a whole other sermon, amen? The marriage is to sanctify us and, and, and cleanse us and, again, show us how much Jesus loves us. But if you're not a follower of Christ, none of this makes any sense. And if you're not a follower of Christ, I want you to know this morning, just as Paul wanted these Colossian Christians to know, that if you have Jesus Christ, you have all you need. And your marriage can be so much infinitely better and sweeter and more glorious. If you'll put him first, you submit to him in all things, then because your, your identity is wrapped up in who Jesus is and what he's done for you and what he will do for you and the hope of your future glory, you don't need the affirmation of other people 
to be fulfilled. And when you are fulfilled, you can be the wife you need to be. You can be the husband you need to be. You can be the obedient children you need to be. Not 24-7 every day of the year until we get to heaven. But you can have that desire to be like that. And you can be part of a church like this where we encourage one another and equip one another to improve our relationships and make our lives more like what Christ wants them to be so we become more joyful and more and we are a model for the world. And I'll end, end with this. We have a culture that devalues marriage entirely anymore. We can get all upset by it and just fight it and be angry. Or here's what we can do. This is what the first century Christians did. We can just show the world what true biblical marriage looks like. And eventually they'll go, there's something very different about those people. That's how we, that's how we shine a light in this culture. We just say, you know what? This is what Christian husbands and wives behave like. This is what Christian families look like. People who are lost, they'll look at that and say, that, that, that doesn't look like the world. Nope, because our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in Jesus, and he's given us all we need. And because of that, I can love my, I can, I can, I can, I can learn and challenge myself and daily seek to love my wife with a love that, women (laughs) any woman in the world would just be amazed at a husband who loved her that way and as a wife i can say you know what i'm not in some sort of competition with my husband i understand his role i don't have to agree with him on everything and we're equal before the cross and we're all equal before jesus but there's a role to play and i'm happy in that role the children can understand that the home is a comfortable place where the husband and the mom and dad love and care for each other. Now, look, I realize some of you have gone through divorce. Your children have gone through divorce. Hear me say this, please. God is a God of redemption. He can bring it all back together. It doesn't like you're one and out. I don't mean that at all. But at the same time, we can't just say, well, none of that matters. God's word is clear. This is what he desires for us in our marriages. Why? First and foremost, because it reflects his glory and his plan. It's a picture of the church and the bride, but also because it brings true joy, contentment, satisfaction, and meaning to those of us who are in it. But if you don't know Christ this morning, you're not going to understand any of that. And the invitation for you, just like for this young child who came for baptism, is the same. Repent of your sin, call him Lord. That means boss, ruler of your life. Trust him to save you. Know that he died on the cross so that your sins would be taken away. He took the punishment for your sin and gives you a free gift of salvation. Just receive that today. Scripture says if you believe Christ was raised from the dead and profess him and then tell somebody about it, you'll be saved. So this morning, if you just want to pray that while you're here and see one of the pastors, one of the deacons, before you leave, say, hey, I I think I I really want to know more about Jesus, they'll walk you through God's word and you'll know you've got your home in heaven. But most of us in this room have done what this young boy did. We've met Jesus, we've been baptized, but we have been slowly corrupted by the world. And most of our view of the family and the home is more, far more influenced by culture than by scripture. And that's the problem. And it's a problem because there's no joy in that. The joy in the home is when we have it based 